0: This episode of the Good and the Bad and the Geeky podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download at www.audibletrial.com forward slash Geeky. Audible.com. Over 85,000 titles to choose from for your iPod or MP3 player.
1: 4K Studios in Columbus, Ohio. It's the Good, the Bad, and the Geeky.
0: Hey, everyone! Welcome out to the Good, the Bad, and the Geeky episode 187. Uh, it's the week of September uh, 12th, and uh, we have a very special guest on the show tonight. Uh, first off, I guess I'm Nick Niger. I should clarify that. If you, do, granted, if you don't know this by this point, well, there's no hope for you. Uh, that's, I'm kidding. Uh, we're very thankful that you're listening, uh, dear listeners, uh, plugging your ear holes with our audio goodness. Uh, but our special guest, is I've been a, on his show twice now, it's been always a lot of fun, uh, is uh, Mr. Chris Morgan from the Cheers podcast. Welcome out, Chris.
1: Hey, thanks for having me. It's uh, nice to be on the guest end of uh, our conversations for once.
0: Yeah, yeah, because usually I'm, I'm a guest on your show, and, uh, it, and it, it's, it's always a lot of fun. And as a matter of fact, last time I finally got to uh, – uh, uh, hang out and talk, uh, with your brother, Jeff, if I remember correctly, am I getting the yeah. name right? Yeah. Jeff. And cause the first time uh, he was doing business trip out, out of the state. And so I didn't get a chance to, uh, to, uh, to talk with him a little bit, but, uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Uh, we got to talk, uh, with, we saw Avengers, I believe, when we talked about that, it was a lot of fun. Um, and, uh, so, let me just ask this because we haven't done this in a while on this show, which was Chris, how was your day?
1: Um, it was all right. I suppose, uh, you know, just a regular old fashioned day here. You know, I did. Uh,
0: well, walk us through a regular day for Mr. Chris Morgan.
1: Okay. Well, uh, I, uh, See, well, first I awoke, of course, like most people do to begin a day. Sure. Uh, except for, you know, people who uh, sleepwalk, which may begin their day uh, in that fashion. But, you or know, most suppose what I do is I, you know, was listening to various uh, podcasts during the day related to sports, doing my writing that I do uh, about sports. Because you
0: write for Examiner, correct?
1: Uh, it's one of the several websites that I write for. Yes. Well,
0: go ahead and plug some of your websites besides Examiner then, that you, that you write for, man. I didn't know. I didn't know. I knew you wrote for Examiner. I didn't know you wrote for other websites. What other websites, do you
1: Plug plug that shit away, man. All right. Well, it's mostly related to uh, sports, by well, I sure. Okay. Um. Well, primarily right now, um, there's a fantasy sports website called uh, RotoWire that I've written for for a few years. Um, right now, I'm doing college football stuff for them well i also cover hockey and uh, basketball for them but the hockey and basketball seasons haven't started yet so mm-hmm. it's just college football right now And then yeah at examiner i'm uh covering sports there as well covering uh the nhl and detroit lions but i also do uh, non-sports stuff there like covering uh the office uh, for at least one more season and then uh, uh comedy movies as well and um those are the websites i contribute to regularly i've been well i've been contributing uh semi-regularly recently started for a website called uh blinded by sound which is a music uh sort of website music you know people write most people people mostly write reviews there but i uh you know as my want i've been writing more sort of uh essays related to music for uh a while i was writing a series where i was listening to songs considered the worst ever or one of the worst ever. And then I was giving them sort of a in-depth sort of critical analysis.
0: What, what uh, are some of the worst songs? or g- give us two of the worst songs and then provide, if you will, uh, possible analysts, a possible analyst, 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 whatever that analysis? word is. Yes. Analysis. Yes. The word that you said well there.
1: All right. Well, a lot of times, it, you know, cause these were fairly long essays. I mean, uh, I wrote, um, several pages, for example, on MC Hammers, you can't touch this. Uh <laughs> and uh a lot of times I get away from the world of the actual song. Like in the um uh essay I wrote on uh Billy Ray Cyrus's achy Breaky Heart, I spent as much time talking about what a you know an asshole and what a shitty parent he is as I did talking about how awful the song is. Um but let's see. I'm trying to think of one I mean the MC Hammer one I'm a particularly a fan of which is uh I don't know how I ended up writing. I mean, I just kept, you know, going because, <laughs> you know, I, I dug into the lyrics and I, I basically, in the end, I ass- my final sort of assertion was that MC Hammer would have made a, a you know, a satisfactory sort of flavor, flave-esque, uh, you know, hype man because the best parts of that song are when he's like, um, uh, sort of yelling things and telling, you know, the person like the like the faux DJ to break it down so he can dance and what have you, and so he would have been fine in a Flavor Flav type role, but as a, you know, centerpiece, uh, he was fairly lacking in terms of his skills as a lyricist or a rapper, but, you know, he he could rock a pair of parachute pants uh, like few others could. That is true. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, songs like that, they're they're all sort of, because, I mean, I was calling these from lists of, like, worst songs ever. So many of them weren't very modern. A lot of the songs are from the 80s because that was sort of the – the decade that was uh, being covered for a while in terms of, it was the eighties turned to be lampooned. I feel like it's turning quickly. It's becoming the nineties whose turn it is in the, uh, sort of the I- ironic appreciation spotlight. Now that we've you know g- gone further into the future as time progresses, you know, each decade becomes an object of ridicule before becoming an object of a uh, sort of nostalgic reverence, which is, I feel like sort of where the eighties is now while the nineties is becoming the, Oh, our clothes are so ridiculous and our songs are so bad uh decade. And uh so most of them you know, but uh yeah, yeah I'd say almost actually all from like the 80s and sort of early nineties, like you know, spin doctors, two princes got oh, it in there. Uh
0: yeah. Now see, you know, see I but here's the thing that I, I find interesting though, is that how long do you think these time frames last though? Because I remember like the wedding singer came out, and yeah, it's mm-hmm. poking fun at the eighties, but like it's also like it's it's lovingly doing it at the same time too. And I remember everyone watches that movie and go. Man, I love I love the eighties. 80s. Eighties the 80s music is great, and I'm just like really because I, it feels like maybe a few years ago you people all hated the eighties, and ever since then it's like the eighties has sort of been. It felt like like what you're saying. Everyone was making fun of it, but then like I, to me it feels like it. How long does that time frame last? Because I, I don't know, because it feels like everyone's always hated music in the 90s, even during the 90s. And I, being that I grew up, then I, I don't know, I have this weirdness stuff. Like, I love Two Princes. Granted, is it the best song ever? No. Does it make sense? Not really. No, <laughs> yeah, exactly, and it really doesn't exactly Cause, and also, you don't really know what the fuck he's saying. It's like, you know, it's almost like, oh, really I know good. what he's
1: saying because oh, I went into the lyrics and you had to
0: find it. Well. No, exactly. Like, if unless I did that, I would have no, I have no clue what he's saying. So, you know, I just find it weird that some people, um, a lot of groups, they I just don't understand. Like, what's the time frame? I, w- I want rules for these kind of things. So then we can start embracing uh, the two thousands. But you are not done yet
1: well the first decade of the two the aughts as it were is, sort of, is done
0: yeah because what do you fucking call it i mean you call it the odds but like that's the, i don't know you just don't come to think of that like right away you just uh the two thousands to 2010
1: yeah that, that wasn't it Cause, i mean some people are calling it the knots some people the oddies and then of course the worst were the people called the naughties that's just that's just obnoxious
0: that's, that's yeah, just, yeah that's bad
1: i just feel it's antagonistic like you're just you know trying to agitate people it's like some sort of neil hamburger-esque uh, you know provocative performance art when you call the decade the naughties but, what uh what what, what
0: what would you then call the decade uh this decade then when it, when it would be done and over, said and done
1: uh it's tricky because you know you might feel because like the teens isn't really apt because it doesn't cover you know 2010 11 or 12 maybe you could call it the 10s because there's a one in the you know the tens place across the decades, and right. same way like you know the twenties is you know you've got a two there making it twenty. I'd probably go with the tens uh, if I was you know in charge of such things. If I was the arbiter of uh uh so um I don't know classifications, but mm-hmm. I mean it's, it feels a little bit like it's going to be the the tens or the teens. Or, uh, I, I wonder
0: whose job that is to figure out what that is. Like that's their entire job. And all and they, in, in fact, they don't really do anything for like nine years until it's like, uh oh, we're pushing up on this. I need to figure out what the fuck I'm gonna call the, that this previous decade that just has gone by.
1: What yeah, maybe, maybe something that Noam Chomsky does in his spare time? <laughs> it's, one of, it's one of his sort of uh things. You know, it's like every nine years, you know, they somebody calls up Chomsky and you know, it's like Chomsky, it's time and uh. And then, you know, they're like, Chomsky, we're in a real pickle here. What are we going to call this decade that ends with, you know, zeros? And he's like, well, I mean, we've got some choices. And then, you know, somebody said, well, what if we really want to fuck with people? I said, well, then he called the naddies, obviously.
0: Yeah. Then, uh, you know. Yeah. You see that? Like, that's the whole, he's like, mm-hmm. There'll be some asshole out there who will call the naddies, and we'll just laugh and laugh <laughs> at him. Yeah. See, Chomsky would totally do that. I always thought Chomsky was a bit of a dick. I uh, not really. I, I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh God! Like yeah, some some person out there is like, no chumps. He's not a dick. He's a very nice man. Uh, but uh, yeah, well, one of the things that that uh, that you mentioned, which I thought was pretty cool, um, because uh, we have him on the show a lot, is uh, 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 Jerome Wetzel is uh, or Jimmy is that he wrote a book. And you also have written a book called Smoke mm-hmm. Gets In Your Eyes. That's true. Written by Chris Morgan. That's you. That's me. Yeah. And, and I read the plot of it. And it, I actually wish I had a Kindle so I could buy it. Because right now it's only for digital download. But you mm-hmm. can get it on Kindle for two ninety nine at Amazon. Um, and it's called Smoke Gets In Your Eyes. And uh, I read the synopsis. But like in your own words, what is the book about?
1: Well, it's it started with uh, I had an idea one day as I, as you know as you you've been on my podcast and you know that sort of sometimes uh when anybody's listened to the Cheers podcast uh, would know that sometimes sort of strange flights of fancy hit my brain mm-hmm. and then I will come up with sort of a, elaborate sort of a unusual concepts or what have you and uh, I had an idea that hit me uh, sort of what if like you know the Nancy Drew the character of Nancy Drew had been like not like a character but had been an actual sort of like person who then had a series of like books written about her, and then like you know cracked under the sort of the, the, the pressure and the sort of media eye, and then sort of became like a uh, you know a burnout like pothead in her mid twenties. Uh, but then obviously I couldn't you know write about Nancy Drew, the actual character, because that's you know owned by a copyright, even though the you know, the author. uh, Caroline Keene's not an actual person, but a series of authors have written under that name, much as the Hardy Boys were written by Frank Dixon. Uh, but there's no actual Frank Dixon. It was, uh, you know, uh, multiple people and really sort of a content farm sort of situation. But so I came up with my own character and then I modernized it a little bit because I figured if there was a modern sort of teenage detective, there'd be a TV show based around there as opposed to a series of books. And that's so basically, uh, the, to give the sort of synopsis, uh, the main character, her name is, uh, Natalie Aries. Um, she was a, sort of a teenage detective, came sort of a media sensation, got a TV show, uh, at least, you know, loosely based on her life, but burnt out. Begin, you know, when the, when the book begins, she's a, uh, you know, pothead burnout living in Northern California in her mid twenties, unemployed. And then, uh, she finds out, um, uh, one of her like best friends from her childhood has uh, disappeared, and you know the the person who calls her is hoping that she can you know get on the case and try and find the person. And so she uh, reluctantly uh, gets back into the uh, world of you know investigation and you know detective work to try and find her uh, her friend and see what's going on there.
0: Well, I so does it follow like a sort of like a uh, almost like a noir crime novel kind of kind of thing as well in the process or. I mean, if you had to relate in terms of the mystery novel type to this, cuz cause, well, cause like when I instantly think of of crime novels, I or you know, or mystery novels, I always think of, you know, the old gumshoe stuff. Is it sort of like that or like you're saying it's more still it's 100% leaning towards the whole the old uh Hardy Boys or Nancy Drew but in an updated contemporary which is what you were saying. They they what if Nancy Drew got burnt out and then
1: Oh uh, well. Um, for starters, I'd also like to preface that it's it's uh, has a comedic bend to it. Oh uh, yeah. So so it's not like a, it's not hard boiled or anything like that. Because um, I mean, know yeah, that's what I you know mostly you know do is uh, you know in terms of writing is writing like you know comedy. This is the least comedic thing I've ever uh, written, but still you know somewhat comedic. Um, but it still also has a sort of a, a, a detective sort of sense to it. I wouldn't call it necessarily. A, a, it's not. A, well, it's sort of a mystery, but it's not a who did it sort of mystery where you're gonna be. You know, I mean, if you want to try and figure it out as you go along, obviously it can't stop you. But that's it's not the the intention. In and although I believe you know, in the sense that uh, uh, Raymond Chandler and I may be misattributing a quote to him or sort of a par- paraphrasing it, but he ba- he basically said that if like uh, the person can, you know, figure out who the, uh, you know, who done it at the, before the end, as they go along, it's more of a sort of a writing exercise than actually like, a, you know, a telling the story so that he, he was not really as much into the whole, you know, laying out the pieces and the details. So the person reading it can figure it out before the end of the book sort of thing. But hmm. I would say it's, it's sort of more in that uh, kind of vaguely, related to that sort of, uh, you know, private detective sort of Dashiell Hammett, Raymond Chandler sort of thing, but also sort of comedic and partially kind of a buddy comedy sort of thing as well. Uh, And, you know, I would would call it a humorous detective novel, a comedic detective novel if I was going to try and sum it up uh, in a a brief sort of, uh, you know, pitch.
0: Okay, the only reason why I I, I asked that is just because um, well uh, d- there's a show on HBO called Bored to Death which sort of embraced the whole noir lifestyle, but it was also very it was very wry and witty kind of kind of humor. So it was making fun of it, but it, it was also trying to live up to it too. So I didn't know if you were because I mean the general synopsis alone sounds hilarious in terms of like what the whole because I mean it's actually a very clever you know. Girl who, or you know, you you can tell it is sort of noveled after Nancy Drew a little bit in terms of girl finds success at being a detective. She gets burned out. It's her finding herself and trying to solve this mystery and get back into the whole thing. And it it sounds like it has plenty of comedic possibilities. But I was just wondering if you were going for that certain style. So that's 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 pretty cool. But did you? uh, I mean, have you read? Obviously, you write sports articles and, and articles for. The Office and, and, you know, music and everything. But uh, what uh, – have you written any other comedy pieces that maybe that you can download or or what, what's your approach, I guess, to, to writing comedy? And then, and so did, like, did this initially start off as a quick, like, really quick short story and then it ballooned into something else or did it
1: uh, – Well, I'll take that in a couple parts. First, there is um, some comedy uh, that I've written that uh, you can find uh, online. Uh, of some of it's – fairly old in terms of like, actual comedic pieces uh because i have a piece from like several years ago on the uh the McSweeney's website but if you search like for my name because you'll find it and then I, I wrote a piece for cracked once and then for a little while i was writing pieces for uh earwolf.com's old uh blog these the, the podcasting network earwolf.com earwolf.com which if somebody's listening to this they've probably at least heard of earwolf uh comedy bang bang country all those um uh, they used to have an old blog where I used to write uh, sort of comedic pieces about where uh, I was just, you know, given an open sort of a platform to write. But I ended up writing a series of articles trying to, you know, sort of, quote, unquote, predict the future of television. I would come up with ideas for TV shows that were sort of facetious. And then sometimes it'd be in-depth, sometimes there would be, you know, quick, like, uh, series of jokes like, uh, you know... Um, like one, around Christmas, I wrote a bunch of different sort of short descriptions for what shows about Santa Claus would be on different channels <laughs> and what have you. But um, then they switched to a Tumblr, and they didn't have you know uh, the sort of uh, a place for long sort of uh, articles where uh, people posit the uh, how a live-action Daria show would look anymore. So uh, that was the end of that. But in terms of why I wrote this, and what this is a novel on. Um, I live out in uh, LA. I moved out here a couple of years ago to try and like, get into the world of television writing actually. And, you know, sitcom writing uh, or just, you know, writing comedy television in general, but that, you know, sitcom writing in particular, because uh, I, you know, back, uh, I used to live in Detroit and I, you know, I went to the second city of Detroit's comedy writing school. And I, I wrote a show for them uh, a, a while back. And then I, I came out here. And uh, so, I mean, I've written a lot of, like TV script sort of things, I, you know, pilots and spec scripts and all that sort of stuff. And I had this idea, but it didn't really work, I felt, as a uh, as a TV script. And also it, it wasn't going to be as uh, comedic, although I could have given that a shot. And I actually wrote something not entirely dissimilar that I wrote, but I gave up on because it, it wasn't really um, working. But what I wrote I actually sent to the uh, CBC, the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, because uh they had a, a a thing where they even though they're like sort of the BBC of Canada, but they will allow people to just sort of uh you know present things to them through their website much easier than uh you know you can do in America where if you send something to like n b c and you haven't like you don't have an agent sending it they will send it back on red if they send it back at all but then I found out uh that unless you're Canadian they can't do anything because actually one of my pilots uh they had some interest in but uh, because I'm not Canadian they couldn't move forward with it. So it was the rare case where not where not being Canadian was actually a detriment to somebody. Uh but but wow, anyways, that um, sucks man. So uh this didn't really seem like it would work to me. So then it really came down to uh do I write you know a, you know a movie screenplay out of it or do I write a a novel out of it. And for some reason, and perhaps partially because it was inspired by uh you know the concept of Nancy Drew at first, I felt like it might work best as you know, a novel. So, I, and, and then I also, I knew that, uh, it being, you know, a, a novel and knowing that Amazon had the thing going on where you can, you know, self-publish works through, uh for Kindle through them that I knew if I wrote it, uh, and published it, you know, through Amazon, uh, that I could, you know, actually have people, you know, buy it and actually have, you know, more people see it because, you know, when you're writing, uh, scripts and stuff like that. One, not as many people are interested in reading that sort of thing, unless they're in the business. And two, it's, you know, it's harder to get people to read such things. And you can't really sell that sort of thing. You can't say, well, here's, you know, a, uh, you know, a pilot I wrote and then, you know, do anything with it other than, you know, if you're fortunate have some people in the business look at it and maybe they can help you out or whatever. So I I figured, you know, I'd I'd sell it as a, a a Kindle ebook, and just, you know, have something out there that people could actually buy and actually be able to, you know, create something and then, you know, mass distribute it out into the world. Although I will also say that um, actually through uh, Amazon Studios, which is a different Amazon thing, you can actually find three of the uh, four pilots I've written uh, online there as well at studios.amazon.com. And then if you search for my name, you could probably find that if you actually did have any interest in anybody out there in reading a, a few TV pilots that I've I've written so you know those are online as well and then so yeah I got a lot of comedy online I guess now and then out. but uh you know also I have this book which actually I can get money for so uh that would be probably prim- you know if you if you can only read one thing by Chris Morgan this year make it a uh, smoke gets in your eyes I I if I what was your review it's like it's not the worst book I've read
0: I said I've read worse books I've read worse books yeah sorry and I'm just like and it was, I was like, well, that's a very, and it's it's by you. And I was like, well, that's a very self, well done, well done indeed, because that's that's the kind of humor I would have on my own stuff, which is like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, yeah, well, but I find it interesting because one of the things that you sort of mentioned, which is you have these ideas, um, have you read the? Uh, I think it's like twenty two ideas by Pixar. Uh, I don't so not ideas, I but their are story story points. Uh, how to uh, our suggestions on when writing a story. And like one of them uh, that I really love, I think it's number 17 or 18, which is no work is ever wasted. Uh, if it's not working, let go, move on. It'll come back around to be useful later. And that's sort of what happened there, which was you had a script, my might, I can't really get to work in that regard. But then you kept it around, kept it in reserve, and then you came back around to it and you made it work. I just find that to be fascinating. Now, granted, some of their newer stuff maybe not so great, but, uh, for some of the original stuff where those, I, those 22, uh, things are like, you know, really help toy story and all the other films around. I, I just find that to be, I really love that. Um, so that's, that's pretty freaking cool. Do you have any, when you're writing, because like, I remember I read a screenplay book once and I really liked it and I started dissecting almost any movie I saw, with it, it, which I forget who, the lady who wrote it, but she pretty much said any film is like a roller coaster. You have um, a certain amount of, of uh, I guess, tent poles that hold up the, the coaster that creates the loops and the, the bends and all that stuff. And there's always a ticking clock in a movie. Um, and I just, I found that interesting cause I never really paid attention to that before. I would just watch movie and be entertained and, and like the process. And, um, I wouldn't, I would just, you know, not think anything of it, but like, yeah, there's a ticking, there's always a ticking clock, even though there might not be a literal clock, which is you have a minute before the bomb blows up 007 or whatever it is. There's always some type of ticking clock going on. And I, I, did you, when you purposely write, do you have any pre conceived notions going in of like how you're going to structure your story or is it, again, it's just whatever is, serves the story best or is it whatever's funny to you or is
1: uh Well, it really sort of um, depends on what I'm writing. Like when I'm writing TV scripts, there's sort of a, a, a general format well, yeah. in the abstract sense for television. And in particular, when you're writing a spec script, which is a script of an existing show, um, like you have to sort of follow within the show's formats because part of the reason for writing a spec script is to show that you can adhere to an existing format of a TV show. So when I'm, you know, writing like a, you know, a Parks and Rec episode, it's, you know, I got to adhere to sort of what they do and stay within a sense of what uh, they do in, you know, a, a, a construction sense of act breaks and sort of storytelling and what have you. But in storytelling and television, um, in terms of, at least in terms of traditional television, you know, obviously – uh, you know you you introduce a problem early on and by the end you solve the problem that sort of thing and then you you know you tell some jokes along the way um it's sort of what you do and all all the pilots i have written as well sort of fall into that sort of sense as well although you know some of them sort of more sort of skewed than others i haven't i haven't written anything in like that would be like you know an adult swim sort of show where it will you know necessarily break free of those conventions uh and just had throw a bunch of random, you know, sort of nonsense together, which, you know, has its own merits in and of itself and its own creative exercise. But in terms of, like, when I – in terms of, like, constructing ideas, I I'm, uh, I am usually tend to be more, like, free-flowing in a sense of, like, a, I will have sort of a a, a vague uh, – because I've never, like, outlined any of the scripts I've written, which is a thing a lot of people do. I write treatments before I write a script, which, you know, is basically, like, telling the story you're going to tell in script form, but a, you write it sort of like a, uh, a synopsis, a, like a synopsis, like an essay. It's like you, like, it's like if you were writing, like a, this is a short story. Um, so I, I do that, and, but I keep it in a sort of a vague sense because I like to sort of um just sort of have things come together as I go along mm-hmm. uh, more. So I, but that's more so like when I'm writing uh, articles or uh, essays or what have you, uh, I, I have a little more uh, structure when I'm writing scripts, although, um, you know, I I still don't have it here too much because that, that sort of uh, in a sense hinders like creativity in terms of like you know figuring out jokes and then of course you also got to figure out sort of tone like I mean I've written four different pilots all four different uh, tones and that's you know done with intention so that you know I have a, a different set of uh scripts to show when I get the opportunity to you know I can show that I can write in a, a sort of a variety of different styles so there's so i've been i've written a lot of different tones and i've written a lot of different things but uh what? in oh,
0: yeah I, no i didn't mean to interrupt but i mean what what some what are some of the spec scripts that you've written
1: for uh well this is it because i'm actually gonna well, have to end up writing a, a new one soon because the the three spec, well i have four spec scripts but i have three that are for uh sitcoms and those three are uh, the office um 30 Rock and Parks and Rec, and those are all three shows that by the end of this particular um, television year may no longer be on television. I mean, The Office and 30 Rock are already officially going to be done after this year, and uh, Parks and Rec, there's a good chance, will also be gone. And sort of in the business, the prevailing wisdom is that you uh, need to have a, a spec script from a show that's currently on television. And so, uh, you know, if those shows all go off the air, I'll need a new you know spec script, just have something... Uh, That's, you know, a sitcom that's currently on TV. I also have an an hour long in uh, in the TV show site because it's the only sort of hour long I thought I could possibly sort of write within the parameters of because it's, you know, it's it's basically a comedy, an hour long format. And like I said, you know, writing drama is not really something that really works all that well for me. Like that one script I said that I abandoned was more dramatic uh but it was not completely dramatic but uh it was in a more dramatic sense and then uh you know I ended up abandoning it cuz it just wasn't really you know working out well, but uh
0: you mentioned psych and and uh, well cuz that's the thing is that I'm not good I I think I'm good with story structure I'm just not good at at the dialogue kind of thing uh, I I mean again I that's the one of the few times I'm actually as cuz I was an artist I'm very self-deprecating I, you know I like you know, my my comic strip or whatever. I I really I I story points. I think I have them down pat. But in terms of the dialogue that gets them there, eh, not my not my not my strong suit. But uh, one of the things I loved about Psych. I just I, want some some another writer's opinion. But I love Psych dearly. But uh, have you been watching it? Or do you, have you been watching it on USA this last season? Or
1: I watched the last season. Yeah.
0: Okay. How did you like this last season, I guess, I guess would be my first question in comparison to the
1: previous seasons. Um, I felt like it was mostly as solid. It happened to have my favorite episode of the show thus far, which is not necessarily speak to the season's uh, ability as a whole, but in terms of like this particular season, because the episode uh, last night, Gus, the episode that was a, uh, because the the, psych works in parody and homage, a lot and that was the episode yes. that was sort of the hangover uh homage or homage yes. as it were
0: yeah um
1: and so i thought that was just a really funny uh hour of television i really enjoyed that one it's probably my favorite episode thus far but i also like i'm gonna i'm at you know off the top of my head i can remember a handful of episodes from the season but i'm uh trying to you know bring up the season as a whole i also um from a personal standpoint i i like the fact that you know and I was slightly relieved that uh, this season finale did not involve Yin or Yang in any sort of sense, because those episodes did not appeal to me as much. Mostly because they were intentionally, like you know, not as humorous and were you know more uh, serious to the extent that the show is ever serious. Uh, and I did not. Um, well, I, I guess
0: know, that's like m- that as well. I, I like well. I like ongoing story arcs. The only thing is that's one of the things Psych is not good at. I think. Um, and it always feels to me like the show wants to try to do that kind of thing, where it wants to. The only problem is that with the way Psych is set up now, anyway, it doesn't really work with story arcs well to begin with. Because, as you said, it works best when it's doing, you know, uh, homage or, or uh, homages, and or they're, or, you know, they're doing just straight up parody. Like, and some of my favorite ones, like they did the uh, The Shining this year, which I thought was mm-hmm. uh, was really good. Um, and it was a few years ago. They was they did. For Thursday the, thir- the the 12th or something or the 14th. Uh,
1: that would make sense. Thursday the 12th would make sense. I remember yeah, that was the episode where the bad guy, a uh, spoiler alert was a uh, fault to read from the Muddy ducks movies.
0: Yes. Yes. And I, I, I is, that's, see. That's what I'm saying. Like that shit is awesome. I, it's fucking great. But like, I remember like, like you were saying with Yin and Yang, like as a standalone episode, it's actually, it's Okay. But in terms of the whole point of that, it's supposed to tie all this weird stuff together. It really doesn't. Like, it almost there's like, two, they, it just adds more plot holes to the whole thing anyway. Because I remember there was supposed to be this big twist about uh, was Yin the girl or was Yang the girl? It was Mister Yang, right? And that was ended up the girl Ooh, and then Mister yeah. Yang was her father. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but Peter Weller, which exactly Peter Weller RoboCop. Freaking badass! Of course,
1: of course, it should also be mentioned then that you know, Mr. Yang was Ali Sheely or Sheedy. Sheedy
0: uh, Sheely. I, I, she I call her Sheedy.
1: I think it's Sheedy. Allen. Yeah. Yeah. Ali Sheedy. That makes sense. She was the uh, the one from the Breakfast Club who was in Molly Ringwald for people.
0: Hmm. I I I prefer Sheedy to be honest with you to, to Ringwald. I remember when I was younger, anytime I'd see. Well, I grew up watching War Games, man. War Games was the fucking shit. I love War Games. And then from War Games, because that's the only thing I could really see from those. Because uh, what was it? Wasn't she also in um, St. Elmo's Fire?
1: That uh, really makes sense if she was.
0: Because uh, she's part of the Brat. She's considered part of the Brat Pack. But and also Short Circuit. I mean, Grand. the Short Circuit one is actually sort of a dark movie. Well, actually, no, they're both sort of dark movies, just in completely different ways. Because was it the second movie? I mean, they kill the fucking robot, which
1: is very... And also has Fisher Stevens in it.
0: Well, yeah, it has Fisher Stevens. Oh, he's doing his very bad accent. Thank you. Mr. Stephen Newton Crosby. Or whatever. It, yeah, it's Stephen Newton Crosby, isn't it? Yeah. but Which... Yeah, I do like... I do like... Um, I do like that there's one quote in the first movie that cracks me the fuck up, which is, um, it's like uh, he's trying to show the robot something, Johnny Five something, and he I think he spills coffee on it, and he's like shit, and then, and he's just like shit, Missy no shit, Missy beautiful butterfly. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that shit always just cracks me up, but no, I I just yeah, I I love Ali Sheedy, she's always. And so then, yeah, well, so when they brought her back, I always thought that was really just fucking awesome that they got her. And they got Judd Nelson, I think, was it uh, beginning of this
1: last season? Or, well, well, that was a, a couple seasons, seasons ago. ago, I feel, because that was in the episode with the uh, – They're in the like lab the, or something, right? Yeah, he was like a, a doctor. It was the one with the sort of the super virus or whatever. That wasn't this past season. It might have even been like two seasons ago by this point. But, yeah, they had him on there. Uh, well, as well who who haven't they
0: gotten from the brat pack i think they've gone. they've gotten a lot of people i mean considering they're like a rinky dink usa show and i say that with all love and respect to the psych um well, they've had ringwald they've had sheedy they've had nelson um didn't uh, they have marie course. cunningham at one point no. possibly
1: they haven't had emilio estevez or uh or anthony michael hall i'm probably sure also until you mentioned i forgot they had a molly ringwald but then yeah you're right she was in that one episode where they uh where but sean goes to the uh like pretend he's like insane or whatever right
0: yeah yeah she's and she's the bad guy i think she's one of
1: the bad one guys that, that's right because they sort me of me. turn her at the end yeah. Of course, of course, we're giving out uh, Sykes spoilers left and right here, but uh, it's 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 really more about the journey than the destination on that television show. So.
0: Well, yeah, and I, I think I guess that was my my whole thing was this: this last season, it felt like anytime they they introduced like a sort of a minor story point, and it carried over to the next few episodes. They were actually, I, it felt well compared to what Psych does usually, which is almost what Big Bang Theory does too. Um, uh, cause I, I like both shows, which is. They, they pick up a story point and they just drop it as quick as they, or they just sidestep it and they just keep going on. And if someone brings it up later, they go oh yeah, we did this. Psych doesn't even really do that at some cases, or they act like they're going to talk about it and they just keep pushing forward. And some part of me doesn't, like, gets a little upset because it feels like they want to do that, but then they just, and they openly know not how to do it, so they just keep going. Like Mr. Yang and Mr. Yang are episodes where I feel that's a perfect example of that. And I... I and this last season when they ended up shooting Corbin Burnson, you know, Sy- or Sean's dad, uh, I almost called him Sykes' dad, Jesus Christ, <laughs> Sean's dad. I, I remember I was like, look, I, I just like, I really, ho- I hate to say this, but like, what if they would actually kill Sean's dad? I mean, you, that would be
1: bold it w- for a procedural show where things don't change that much. Exactly. And
0: the thing is too, is that you could make it like an actual season long arc of who killed or... Like well, for Sean, tracking down who because you know Sean f- sort of figured out who the actual bad guy was, but there was felt like there was so more like untied like, tied up on why he was doing it or why was he in it for the money because they figured out the other guys, but not him, or something very similar to that effect. And so, and he was rushing down to, to to get his dad who was at the the beach house or whatever when he got shot. So. Yeah, I just, um, I don't know. I think it would be bold. And also, you don't have to lose Corbin Burnson in, in the process, too, because he's always in he the He interdu- could become a ghost. He, well, he could become a ghost, but remember they do the introductions of flashbacks. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. Oh, that's true. Very much so.
0: And at what point, and this is the other thing that I'm just saying that they could do. This is how, this is the kind of bold thinking I'm thinking of. Are you going to say
1: at what point will they just have uh, James Roday playing a young Sean Spencer?
0: Well, yeah, because remember they they did the, the first few flashbacks in the, I think, the first season, the pilot, and I think in the third episode, they did both the kid and Sean as where he p- played the grunged up punk kid look where again, yeah, cause that was the whole thing I think in the pilot where they pulled him out of the car and he for he got, well, rest- that's,
1: that's not in the pilot. That's I think it's at the end of the first. No, it's not at the, cause the end end of the first season is the episode with scary Sherry. Uh, that might have been the episode where Sean's mother comes back. Okay. I, yeah, but yeah, he's sort of at, at a certain age. He's being played by uh, James Roday with like a hairpiece and trying to, you know, look younger or what have you.
0: Well, right. And uh, so I'm just like, why not? You can still have, that's the thing, you can kill him up and still keep him around, I guess is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. And that, because you can still do the bold move, but then still play it safe because. You can never not learn something from Corbin Benson. I, I think that's very evident as because this far along, he's still learning shit from his childhood. I'm just saying.
1: Yeah, that's I, true. Yeah, but,
0: it, I don't know. I I like Psych though a great deal. I I they're one of the and also they're one of the few shows I actually love the theme song too. Oh, it's a great theme song. And they personalized the shit out of it. They had boys to men, and mm-hmm. what a wise move that they brought back the, the singing group this last year, even though they changed it a bit. Because yeah. they're getting the mileage from the Boys to Men. Because granted, the Boys to Men, they're not as popular as they once were, not gonna lie. They're doing popcorn festivals and, and shit like that. But at the same fucking time, they probably got a bargain on Boys to Men, but still, it was probably a lot of money. Like that was probably half their budget that week to get Boys to Men to do the song and record it. And they're like, you know what? If we bring those guys back for like half the price, we maybe pay a smaller licensing fee out to Boys to Men. We can still use the song. Genius, Steve. Let's do it. Steve Franks, by the way, is who I'm probably mm-hmm. referencing. He's the creator of the show. And he's the is he the I think he's the lead singer, or he's one of the leaders of the the band, the friendly friendly Indians, which sings mm-hmm. the theme song. So I mean usually seemed, obviously in that case, Boys to Men would be singing the theme song, not them. That would be awkward <laughs> for Boys to Men. But um no, yeah, I I love that show. That's such a good show. But That's I'm quite good, Yeah, yeah. I'm really intrigued to see what they, uh, what what they do next on this season with how they handle mm-hmm. Sean's dad, and also what was the one where they had they twisted it up where Sh- it's it's a Gus centric episode, but Sean is in the hospital getting his appendix out, mm-hmm. and Sean's there though via the via the, the, the iPads uh, FaceTime. Mm,
1: yeah, <laughs> that was one of that Cheech it
0: Yes. Yeah. That was. Oh man. I would say this last season was really, really fucking good,
1: but, um, yeah, strong season.
0: But yeah. So, uh, so you, so you are a spec script for psych and, Mm -hmm. uh, so like if you, if you had to maybe try another show, uh, right now, uh, for both the hour long, it could be comedy, drama, whatever. Would you still have it, keep it be psych or would you, and I'm also including to asking you to include the half hour spec scripts too. Like what would you change it to then?
1: I'm actively thinking about this because I have to sort of, you know, come up. I don't have to, but I, one, I want to because yeah, I want to keep writing a new script so my things don't get out of date. Because uh, even if Parks and Rec Week were to come back for another season, mm-hmm. um, it would still be a sort of out of to date, out of date script. And you know, this is not a terrible issue, but it's nice to have things sort of, um, you know. Uh, uh, up to date and I've been thinking about like what I would write in terms of like shows that will still like be on the air in terms of sitcoms so like I'm thinking as of right now I'm probably leaning toward uh my next spec script being uh, an episode of uh, new girl actually probably oh my god you good man good taste sorry continue yeah I just want you know see what happens sort of going on in the second season and then you know go from there and if I was going to end up writing an an hour long, I mean, I don't know what I could write other than Psych because the only other couple, well, there's a few other hour long shows I watch, but, uh, you know, like Breaking Bad is a, uh, you know, one, it's going to be ending soon itself, and it's a, you know, hard sort of drama, although with some elements of dark humor. And then, you know, same thing with Justified, and neither of those shows are really in what parameters, of what I can write. And the other other hour long show that's still on TV that I'm, I'm watching uh, currently, the, depending on what happens in the upcoming, uh, you know, season, is a white collar, which is also on uh, the USA network, which is, you know, a, a lighter sort of drama with a, a, some sort of, uh, uh, comedic elements. Uh, and I mean, but I don't know exactly how well I could necessarily do with that either, because it, it has the same sort of issue that I had when trying to write my psych, which is the, uh, you know, the part where you have to try and put together a, uh, mystery. a mystery, mm-hmm. uh, See, I live in sort of the the opposite of, like, what you said, where, like, you know, writing the dialogue and sort of stuff like that is what I, you know, do – I feel like I do better and what I feel like I do well uh, to the extent I'm willing to, you know, uh, compliment myself uh, uh, that I – but in terms of, like, you know, coming up with sort of storyline stuff and coming up with jokes and storylines is something I feel like I can do better. Um, But coming up with sort of an actual storyline, particularly when it's got to become, you know, intricate – like in an hour long where you got to put the pieces of a mystery together um and while i can do that you know i just it's a little trickier and it takes more time and uh so it's it's something i just you know don't do as well there so i mean but the thing was with like hour longs they're all sort of like mystery crime procedurals or like you know like medical dramas basically i feel like in terms of like when i think of hour-long shows that's about it it's all like um, procedural sort of crime stuff or like uh, maybe law dramas and medical dramas i mean is there anything else that happens in the world of hour long television uh
0: not uh, i all honestly and no, no offense to the shows that are on that are actually good that are the typical hour longs but not really most of them are on cable or hbo that's true and uh yeah. or they follow their own like like a show i absolutely adore is treme But that show is literally about – I mean it it, it is about – it's about something. But if you would watch it from an episode to episode basis, you would probably have – you're like, well, what the – this is just following a bunch of people living their lives in New Orleans. And that's all you would get from it if you – but it's really about – each year it's about whatever the harsh realities of New Orleans is going through overall as a city after Katrina. So literally the first season is a year after Katrina. Season two is two years after Katrina. And the year three season three. This season will be three years after Katrina, because it says the city's rebuilding itself. So you get to see like season two is all about the, crime is on the rise now after sort of a nice period of no crime and whatever. And you know, government is trying to you know, and other corporations are getting in there. It's yeah, it's just very weird because it doesn't feel like there's a major ongoing plot or anything. Like if you watch Game of Thrones you know what the fucking plot of that is. That shit is like season one and season one's about, you know, finding out, you know, that there there is a game of Thrones going about season two, the game continues season three, the game continues yet more. Uh, I'm really generalizing game of Thrones because I really love the fuck out of that. And I have nothing bad to say about that. I, I, I could not write reviews for that anymore on examiner or, or even TV King, because I was like, I I got to the point I was started to tweet. I was like, let me, let me summarize my review because literally it was three pages of drivel saying – because I, it was nothing but praise. And, and I remember I'm looking – because sometimes I look back at my notes for the la- previous episode I reviewed trying to see like maybe if, if they improved. I'm like I'm saying the exact same thing almost in a different way of what I said the last time. And I just feel bad as, a, like, as someone who's reviewing something and, and some act, some one person out there is going, what is Nick Argonbright? Or, I'm sorry, Nick Nitro. What is he going to say about Game of Thrones this week? Because I really liked his review last week. It's the same fucking thing. So let me make it short. Game of Thrones is really good. You should watch it. That, and, and that's literally all I said. Like four people were like, "Well, oh, you're yeah, thanks, man. I'm like, yeah, whatever. I, I'm probably not going to review Game of Thrones until the season finale. And that's what I did. Because, it, yeah, some shows, yeah, you can't do that. Boardwalk Empire, same kind of thing. Though, that got really fucking good. I was surprised by that one. Because... Season one felt it just, like, meandered through fucking wasteland of just boring shit. Even though it was building to something, it just felt like it was taking way too long. The pacing was really slow as hell. And second season, it's like, that was the prologue. We're cooking with gas. And it was was awesome. And what's sad is that everyone who tried to watch the first season, they gave up on it. And so season two, when it happened, like, the next day after the finale, after this big shocking thing happened uh a game changer if it were i remember i went to work to the proverbial water cooler if it were no one was there talking about boardwalk empire so i was sitting there drinking water by myself going anyone boardwalk empire was really good but yeah uh, and of course people who've caught up on it now are like yeah it was fucking great but i digress there's not really many other hours long shows out there that you could maybe uh you could maybe write for it uh now do you still live in la then or are oh, you yeah Oh, how, okay. What's the cost of living out there, man? I, I, these, this is a serious question. I, ne- I just need to know.
1: Um, well, it depends really on uh, where you are. I mean, wherever you are, unless you're in a, a a less um desirable sort of neighborhood, like if you're the in the sort of a uh, William Peterson world up to live and die in East LA, maybe it's not that much different than your sort of average, um, you know american city but like um like i'm up in the san fernando valley um where it's not it's more expensive than like you know most places are um it's not like you know la is not new york expensive but it's pretty much um more expensive than other places but the san fernando valley is not that bad because it's sort of like suburbs within the parameters of los angeles um but you know it's you know certainly a bit pricier than like most places Um, even like most like major cities, but it's not as bad as I thought it would be before I was moving out here. Like, I thought it'd be, you know, worse than it is, but, uh, it's so, you know, it's, um, it's an increase from pretty much anywhere, but it's not like, uh, particularly, egregious or anything like that
0: so for a general nice place here it runs about eight hundred dollars for one to two bedroom so hypothetically is it like one thousand there for a, a one to two bedroom or is it like even or am i is that's is that still that's lowballing it the one thousand
1: um maybe you can get a, a one bedroom for that i uh, won't be able to get a, a two bedroom for that even up in the valley uh and like um wow damn damn
0: okay wow that's that's pricey man
1: yeah well, like i said it's not you know new york bad but it's not uh you know it's more expensive i mean it's like you know los angeles it's it's definitely more expensive but it's not like you know maybe i've just got a, a different you know sort of perspective from uh you know i mean i've basically lived uh in you know detroit and here so i don't have a lot of uh you know where, knowledge of like what it may cost to live various places uh, so I just knew it was more than like living where I lived you know before, but uh,
0: well, I don't have a checklist of all the places. like what's the cost of living in Idaho? I wonder I'm not doing that i it it's just a genuine like well, I mean, you moved out there. I just find that very weird because I mean, do you write full time then or I mean what do you do as your as your gig man like what's your normal nine to fiver
1: Oh well, I I in addition to you know the the writing I do, I do uh, online tutoring as well in uh, English and uh, writing, fittingly enough. So, uh, oh wow. that's what I do as well.
0: So, so you bring in some bucks, and so you're so you're good for the most part. Like you're not sitting there thread you know worrying too much month to month.
1: I don't know if I would say that I'm. I mean, I don't want to get too much into like you know my finances. I wouldn't necessarily well, no, say that yeah, I, I'm I don't quote want unquote to be good, like, but uh, you know.
0: Well, I, I'm not. I'm not looking for you to tell us your tax returns and everything like that. I'm just looking for well, because that's the thing is that like, what if some person's listening to this and they want to move out from say you know bumfuck Egypt, Arkansas, and they want to move out to L.A. to make it? That's what I'm saying. Like the cost of living there is going to be. They're probably paying. Four hundred to six hundred dollars a month, even probably in a nice area, maybe eight hundred at the most. And they're going to go out to LA, and even in 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 the beautiful San Fernando Valley, it, it's going to cost them. As you were saying, lowballing it, it's like one thousand dollars for a one bedroom. That's, I mean, granted, as you were saying, not New York, because I know New York is. Uh, I've heard a lot worse, but I mean, still, that's pretty pricey. So then you have to. You have to be busting ass, pretty much doing a job to get that much moolah in. Like you, you would be literally living off, uh, you know, just paying rent and electricity. At least in my, I, that's how it'd be for me. At least if I was out there, because I, I mean, I pay five sixty five sixty five a month, and if I went out there, I mean, if I kept the same job I was at, getting paid the same amount, I would probably have enough just for electricity and maybe basic cable just so I can get internet after that. (laughs) I don't know if I could afford food at that point. So that's not true. I could perform a little bit more, but that's what I'm saying though. Like your whole, your whole outlook on what you're doing and how you do it completely changes with what the job you're doing. And I I just find that interesting because a lot of people out there, they go, yeah, well, because apparently everyone in LA is writing a script, no matter where you go, you you walk into a Starbucks. Well, you walk out of one Starbucks and go to another Starbucks right across the street. People are in there writing their screenplays, and I go, "Well, I gotta go to my job where I'm a barista at the other Starbucks across the street." Whatever, that's very bad. But like, but yeah, I just I just find it fascinating. And and I'm here to help the people, Chris. I'm here to help the people with information they need. That's that's these are the hard hitting hard hitting news stories you get on the good the bad. Thing made myself laughed, um, but no, I I just I was, I was fascinated by that too. So I yeah because yeah because i we we've all I think at some point imagined going out there and man you you're out there you're doing it. Have do you have an agent?
1: Um, not uh, currently because you know in terms of you know advice in terms of people who may be listening and may be thinking uh, about uh, coming out here. Uh, my first piece of advice would be buy Smoke Gets in Your Eyes uh, available on Kindle at Amazon <laughs> for two ninety nine. Uh, will there be answers in there? Maybe. I can't really tell you. Mm -hmm. Buy it and, you know, find out for yourself. Mm -hmm. And secondly, I would say that, um, it's getting, the hardest thing is getting your foot in the door, um, which is, you know, getting people to like agree to read what you have to, uh, you know, represent you. Um, because it's, it's a lot about like knowing people and, uh, having you know meeting people and knowing people who have already have their foot in the door, because, once you, you know, have that, uh, you know, that's, it's sort of like you take, had to take one, you know, giant leap for, for mankind perhaps, uh,
0: mm-hmm. if, you know,
1: and then after that it's, you know, it's not like easy, but once you've, you know, got representation or, you know, got somebody you can get you on a show um, after, after that, you sort of, you, you have an in as it were, and then it becomes easier to continue working. It's, it's getting that first job that is the you know exceedingly difficult uh but after that it you know i mean i not i don't know from personal personal experience uh you know but based on what I know and based on you know knowing people in you know out here and you know you know listening to podcasts about the specific topic and what have you I know that uh you know once you're in the door and you you know people and once you have you know representation because the tr- the issue is uh, in terms of needing representation is that from a legal perspective, you know, people like on, from TV shows can't really like read your submissions um, unless they're submitted by an agent just, you know, for in terms of worrying about, you know, being sued for plagiarism or something along those lines. So even if like, you know, you're an upstanding gentle man or gentle woman who wouldn't, you know, do such a thing, who would not cast aspersions on, you know, TV uh, executives and showrunners, they can't really run that risk. Uh, So, you know, It's like, I mean, I've tried sending things to shows before, just, you know, hoping that maybe something would be able to get through. And, you know, if you're, like I said, if you're fortunate, they'll send your stuff back to you, uh, you know, unread, you know, and making sure to note that it's been unread. So, so, you know, yeah. Uh, So basically uh, what I'm saying is, no, I don't have an agent (laughs) at the moment or a manager or anything like that. You know, I've been you know fortunate enough to get my stuff read by a couple of people, but nothing's really... Uh, clicked thus far because as one of them you know one of the agents said to me it's about you know finding somebody who uh is sort of has the same sort of sensibility that you have as much as like because you could be a person that has some level of skill or ability but if you don't have an agent who really feels like they you know connect with what you're doing and can you know help you find you know places for your uh, uh you know particular brand of what you're doing particularly in comedy which is you know I mean, obviously, drum, drum is subjective as well. But you know, I feel like you know people generally say that comedy is you know more subjective than that in terms of what you find funny, so on. Uh, it's tricky, and a lot, again, a lot of agencies you know require people to be recommended to them. They won't you know. So you, you need an agent to get read by a TV you know a TV showrunner or what have you, and you, you need you know a, a recommendation to get read by an agent. And then you you know need to somehow find somebody who can recommend you, and you know usually those people have to already have you know that agent, and then you so you have to somehow you know, and then they had to find that agent somehow, and it becomes basically I figure it all goes back to like the first person in show business, uh, and then like somebody knew them, and so then they you know it, it it operates like a one of those uh, like phone trees, uh, yeah, or like a or like a pyramid scheme. Well,
0: uh, it almost is like what came first, the chicken or the egg? A vicious cycle that kind of one perpetuates the other, but at what point, you know, what came first kind of thing, which is, but no, yeah. I mean, it's, it is very, well, I, sometimes you hear stories of people just getting in just because they did something really weird, um, or which, or outrageous that no one's ever done before. Like, uh, a grand, this is a little bit different and it's not normal Hollywood. It's adult swim, but Andy Merrill, uh, who does the voice of Brack, he's one of the big wigs at, at adult swim, um, and he still mostly handles the, the Space Ghost-related stuff um, and sort of mildly running uh, Adult Swim or Cartoon Network or something to that effect. But back when he was just doing Space Ghost, his way of hiring writers for the show was not how good the script – necessarily the script was. Like if you just like, – he, he wanted an interesting cover letter with it. And uh, apparently this one kid – uh i don't i don't know who it was i can't even pinpoint i think he wrote kentucky fried nightmare or something like that whatever the name of the episode is i'm i'm totally messing it up but uh he literally his cover his script was really good but the cover letter was uh he had his his nephew who was just like three years old write the cover letter which is and it looked like a little kid wrote it. it's like hi my name is da 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 i am four years old or f- however many old years old i like i like space ghost and that's and he sent it to him like that and he and he thought that was funny enough that he got him on the show and that's what i'm saying and i remember hearing stories from dan Harmon, and it's not just the script they do i mean do you ever have you done anything like that outrageous where or trying to get the agent or trying to get a showrunner or someone to read it um or maybe stories of things to not have not try to do you can tell people i i mean I don't really feel that you would probably be the one who would do something really super outrageous and you would advise them not to do that. But I, I'm just saying, I just remember that came into my head and.
1: Well, uh, for starters, I would, uh, recommend, um, not showing up for an audition as for Catwoman as Catwoman, like Sean Young did back in the day. Uh, yeah, that was, but do show up for an audition uh, for Batman as Catwoman.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, but i mean no i i don't i've never really done uh anything uh you know that would be considered necessarily outside uh the box uh you know because i mean I, I i don't know personally i just try and handle it in a more of a, a professional manner because i feel like you know this is you know not to say these people aren't professional but like my profession or my aspired profession is you know sort of writing and the profession of these agent type people is to um, find people that they think can make a living writing so that they can make a living getting their you know percentage of that person's earnings well, you so respect just, the yeah.
0: process is what you're saying you you're a firm believer respecting the process
1: I respect the process you know Walter White respects the chemistry and it's one of the many ways in which I'm similar to Walter White is that uh you know I have respect for you know my process you know uh but and also i've uh, you know poisoned children to get ahead of life. <laughs> Uh, the first thing I could think of that he had he had
0: done. Uh, well, well, by the way, how I, I don't watch the show, but I remember hearing about it on Twitter, and it, it cracked me the fuck up. Because I remember when the show first came out and I heard what the crystal meth looked like, I was like, you know, they should really use that song, Crystal Blue Persuasion. <laughs> and no, they never used it. And I remember I would ask my friend, Jimmy, Jerome, Wetzel, I was like, have they ever? No, no. Nope. I would ask other people who watched the show never used the song. And then, like, I remember the finale... Like Twitter was blowing up, like oh my god, it's such a great song for, and and I think it was Mike Royce was like, can you imagine the writers' room, the revelation of joy that hit everybody, and who probably got a raise or some kind of major recommendation from uh uh, the was it Vince Gilligan, Mm -hmm. uh, who runs the show about, remember that song Crystal Blue Persuasion. (laughs)
1: <laughs> well, definitely yeah, enough, and you know, I've listened, read some things and listened to some podcasts uh, with Vince Gilligan after the fact. And actually, uh you know, he may give the person a raise who thought of it, but that person was Vince Gilligan. So, well, oh, well, uh, yeah. So he would be like a nice pat on the back. Give himself a nice bonus. Yeah. Because he actually said that it hadn't really occurred to him until he heard it, the song on the radio, like driving sometime, like in the not too distant past. Uh and he's like, and he put you know two and two together. That you know the old Tommy James and the Shandell song. I believe they also did Crimson and Clover. So they had a sort of a, a series of songs involving a uh, sort of colors.
0: Crimson and, uh, and, then, and uh, Clover, over and over. Yeah, the good stuff. I indeed. Yeah, both songs are good. And uh, oh man, what was it? Uh, no, sorry. Go ahead.
1: I was gonna say I think they also did. I think we're alone now. The song that was made famous by Tiffany. <laughs> the
0: song that was made famous by Tiffany. <laughs> okay, when I was growing up, I wasn't. I think this is why maybe I have an affinity for eighties an and nineties music. To some, even the bad ones, just because I wasn't allowed to listen to that music. I wasn't allowed to watch MTV at home. Uh, I I watched it in my babysitters because my parents didn't know I was fucking watching it. But um, I I had to listen to oldies stations in the car. So I remember when I would go into school they would turn the radio on and the teacher, and it would be the oldie station. And I would be actually humming along to the song playing on the radio by the Beatles. Well, everyone knew the Beatles, but I'm talking about like other songs like crimson, crimson and clover and oh, like the
1: righteous brothers. The right.
0: The, yes. Oh God. Yeah. I'm not, I'm going to, yeah. The righteous brothers, you name it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I know Dave Clark five. I knew all that stuff. And, uh, and, and matter of fact, my teacher is like, what are you humming about? What the hell are you humming to? Like you know what this song is, I'm like, yeah, this is this is Dave Clark Five, and then he would like shut up because I was right because it's fucking Dave Clark Five. But like, in, but I never got a chance to get into the get into the songs when they were out. Now I think that's one of the reasons why I I like the those music because like I I I missed that part of childhood because I was always in my car listening to whatever my parents wanted to listen to was the fucking oldies station,
1: Tom Jones and shit. I oh god, yeah you never got to know the joys of buying the semi-sonic semi-sonic album just to hear closing that <laughs> uh
0: well by that point i was a little bit more because that was my senior junior senior year yeah i was close yeah i well i remember i bought the song the uh, granted, it ended up being a great fucking album granted it made me want to slip my wrist to see collar. uh it was duncan chic um self-titled <laughs> album which there's that song i am barely breathing yeah i can't find the air yeah Don't know if I,
1: i'm kidding I'm imagining you care i could stand here waiting a fool for another day and yes. then the rest
0: yeah which that's only a depressing song but like it's like an upbeat catchy depressing song and like uh and, and so but you listen to the rest of the album and the rest of the album is literally like i'm cutting my wrist now seeing if you care duh. yeah like all i mean that's pretty much what the whole album feels like but granted it's a really well done album And I love the, I still love it. Matter of fact, I listened, that's, that and was it Ben Folds 5, whatever and every name. And I listened to those albums so fucking much that I've bought three versions of them until finally, thank God for iTunes. I can just, yeah, seriously. So I love the album, but like literally that was one of those times where I only bought it for that song. And then it was like years later, I happened to, it just kept playing and I wasn't paying attention. And I was like, huh, this is a good song. And I went back and I made a point. Yeah. So I, I'm weird like that. I, I don't, some albums. Yeah. And so, but yeah, if I had that album, I probably would have liked semi-sonic cause I like closing time. And, yeah. uh, Grant, grand it, I, what is it? No. Uh, there, have you ever, there's an album. It was done by, uh, he did Ralph Saul who does a lot of movie soundtracks for used to back in the nineties when he was tough shit then. Um, where he took bands that weren't popular yet, or they were indie artists like Matthew Sweet at the time, Semisonic, Liz Fair before she did her big breakout in like, was it 2001? So, be,
1: well, like, so you know, you I mean like this is still like post exile in Guyville, but like before she had that song, like where she became like sort of like a pop sort of style singer? Yeah,
0: but way before then. This was 1993, 92, 93.
1: Okay. And I, yeah, I think that's Post Exile in Guyville, but like, yeah, she wasn't like known. She was just sort of like an indie darling, as you said.
0: Yeah, yeah. Along with Matthew Sweet. As a matter of fact, the only big group on it that I really knew of, uh, 100% without a doubt, was Sublime. As a matter of fact, they recorded it like, apparently long, long time ago as a beat cut. And then because of the, the the album came out like a year after the, the lead singer killed himself or whatever, or he well, got shot. I figured he
1: of heroin, some got he of, of heroin, heroin well, incident.
0: I still call it killing yourself because drugs are bad kids. Um, well, that's me. I don't judge. If you do, if you want to knock up some heroin in your stream, you, you go at it. Uh, uh, and, and no offense to the guy. He was a very talented guy, but seriously, why, why, why? Anyway, uh, drugs are bad. Seriously. Don't do them unless you want to then go for it. Uh, no, but he did. A, yeah, because they did. As a matter of fact, because they did. A, it's all cartoon theme songs covered by these independent artists. And uh, matter of fact, oh, I knew Reverend Horn Heat. Mm-hmm. I didn't know their music style, but I knew I've heard of the band, and they did a, an awesome cover of the Johnny Quest theme song, which was a which was a twofer. You got a twofer in that song. It was Johnny Quest theme forward slash Stop That Pigeon, which was the original theme song to Dastardly and Mutley and Their Flying Machines. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, right. And you're probably going Johnny Quest theme. Stop that pigeon now. I, I don't really see how that, but it works. It really fucking works. But Sublime did Hong Kong Fui, um, and it was the big track at the time. Is someone covered? Uh, uh, it was from Rand Stimpy's Show. Happy, happy, joy, joy. Happy, yeah. Yeah, they did happy, happy, joy, joy. Uh, Liz Fair, I what. What did Liz Fair do? She, but she, yeah, I was mean. They did, oh, they did the Banana Split theme th- uh, theme song. Oh, I think that was Liz Fair was the uh, the Banana Splits theme
1: song. I was going to posit she did the Gem theme song,
0: but gem. Well, that's the thing. It was more like the classic Hanna Barbera cartoons, like the mm. the cartoons that these that these band members, because at the time they were like in their twenties, I think, for the most part. Like Matthew Sweet did Scooby Doo. I um, his was actually a pretty straightforward, just Scooby Doo and just like. Liz Fair was a straight up cover of the Banana Splits theme, um, but Hong Kong Fui, Reverend Horn, Heat, uh, you know, Sublime, some of these songs. Oh, and they did a lot of the H.R. Puffin stuff, uh, Sigmund and the Sea Monsters, and so the, like
1: Sin Marty Kropf shows.
0: Yeah, they did those too. As a matter of fact, I, I, because we I, USA Network uh, when I was growing up had a lot of the old Hanna Barbera stuff that that no other network had. They had Yogi Bear show. Uh, all the fucking spinoffs of the Flintstones, dear Jesus, the pebbles and Bam Bam show. Uh, I mean, I nostalgia, I wax on about like on, I like that show, but knowing in my head, I know that's a bad show. I don't have to watch that again to, to, I can just go, you know what? I remember watching it and I enjoyed it then. And that's all I need to remember. But, uh, but yeah, that's what I'm saying. So I remember all these shows, but I never, they never showed HR puff and stuff or the bugaloo's or any, of the, the Sid and Marty Croft stuff. Uh, uh the land of the lost anything like that but they have these songs on there and there was a movie with uh uh, donald Logue or luge uh called dow of steve and i love that movie it's a great movie but uh he talks about the bugaloos in there he's like do you remember growing up watching the fucking bugaloos and the girl's like yeah i do and they start singing the theme song and i'm like because of this album i know what they're fucking talking about (laughs) Because if not, yeah, I, yeah it's a very weird. But, yeah, it's a good album. I think it's called Saturday Morning Serial or Saturday Morning Cartoons. And this old-school group of – yeah, but Semisonic's on there. And I find it just – yeah, absolutely awesome. Matter of fact, if I have a few tracks of it, I'll I'll be sure to send it out there or, or send it out there to the great yeah, Beyond. Or we'll, we'll play it sometime here on the show. I, I love that stuff. It's good stuff. But – um yeah how do we get on to saturday morning oh semi-sonic we were talking about semi-sonic yeah,
1: yeah. well we weren't really talking about them i mentioned them in passing in pa- well uh, see this is the thing on this show you mentioned something in passing to me and then it becomes the thing that it becomes is, the
0: thing that is the yeah matter of fact this whole show will just be called the show about semi Sonic. no i won't i'm kidding
1: <laughs> the album was called saturday morning colon cartoons greatest hits mm-hmm. it was fair did do do the tra-la-la song one banana two banana one banana two banana three banana four three banana, banana. that actually led the album off. Off. you got yeah. sponge you got mary Lou lord with Semisonic doing sugar sugar from the archie show that's yeah and it's a good cut that's actually a good song too and that feels the ramones oh, oh, of course the ramones version of spider-man's on there yeah
0: yeah i i think that, i knew Femmes. the ramones too the the violent Femmes. which one did they, oh they did uh eek up orc uh uh that means i love you from the yep. Jetsons. good Indeed. that's a see that's a good album folks and thing is, is it on iTunes or I don't think it's on iTunes anymore. I think you have to actually, you have to find that copy or that. Or I think the band's released those songs as their own, whatever. You know what I mean? I, th- I think it's out of print, kind of thing, as an album. But um, ugh, good stuff, good stuff. Well, uh, on that note, I think I, I you know, we'll 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 end on a high note, which is Saturday morning cartoon themes. <laughs> indeed and uh remember to check out chris morgan's book uh 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 smoke gets in your eyes am i remembering that
1: correctly smoke gets in your eyes you can find it in the kindle store at uh amazon or if you just go to amazon.com you can search for smoke gets in your eyes and my name otherwise you know there's too many chris morgan's and too many things called smoke gets in your eyes but you combine them together and also uh, you you can find the link on uh, my twitter page as well uh, which is a chris x morgan so if you just want to, you know, go find the link, you can find it there.
0: Right. And there'll be links for, uh, his Twitter feed and for the book, uh, in our show notes and on gbgpodcast.com when the episode goes live. Uh, so, uh, you know, they'll, that'll be there too. And, uh, was there anything else you want to plug? Oh, obviously, duh. Uh, we'll have links on this. I need, duh. On my part. Uh, podcast wise, listen to the cheers podcast. Uh, Chris and his brother, Jeff, um, talk about many, many things, and uh, we'll have links for that too. But for off the top of my head, is it what, what's the address for that? Uh, if they want to download an episode, real
1: quick. Oh, well, you, know, you can they can always find it on the iTunes uh, under Cheers. It's it's the um, podcast with the logo that is a photo of former presidential candidate Alf Landon. Uh, or if, if you want to go to the RSS page, it's Cheers.libsyn.com/rss, and then you can just go to the RSS page and find some episodes there. So there you go.
0: There you go, kids. Get it on the iTunes. And uh, thanks, Chris, for for, for coming out doing the show. It was a lot of fun. And uh, we'll have you on again sometime. And uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Get out of here without cheese! You're a creep! Go away! We're having a good time until you start up, cheapers. Uh